Welcome everybody to Spotlight Mining at the PDAC. This is the Mining for Europe podcast. I'm joined here by a group of experts from around Europe who are going to talk about all of the issues facing European mining right now. Maybe if we go to the left and introduce ourselves. Uh, my name's John Dobson. I'm a random member of the public brought in as a kind of control subject, I should imagine. Uh, I'm Mike King. I run a Cornwall Development Company in the UK, uh, a region in the southwest of the UK where we are planning to restart both tin and lithium mining that has first started in Cornwall about 5,000 years ago. Pasi Heino, Geological Survey of Finland, and I'm heading uh, or an Industrial Minerals Unit. Hi, my name is uh, Daniel Dolivaida. I am a geologist by training, and I head the Mineral Resources and Geophysics Research Unit of the Portuguese Geological Survey. And additionally, I am also the chair of the Mineral Resources Expert Group of Eurogeosurveys. Yeah, my name is Hannes Hastein from Germany, and I'm writing a newsletter about mining companies, exploration companies, yeah, and how to invest in uh, the sector. My name is Marko Čuric, I'm a, a lawyer from Serbia, Belgrade, and I'm representing international companies operating in Serbia, exploration and exploitation company mostly. So I think the most important thing we should start with is actually John, uh, who I think is the most important member of the room as a random member of the public. What are your impressions of mining in Europe? Well, um, very few. I mean, I, I think personally, um, as an individual, my view of the industry is that it has vast environmental impact. It can have vast financial implications for the countries uh, where you carry out your exploration uh, and export. And the way that you uh, conduct yourselves as an industry has massive impact in any region both financially and economically, emotionally, um, uh, for for the general people within that area. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's my takeaway. I've uh, very little insight into how you conduct yourselves as a modern industry, but that is my personal takeaway. Quite a good response, actually, considering uh, you weren't meant to know anything about mining. <laughs> okay, right. So, so maybe uh, with the, the social issues affect all of us in Europe, maybe if we start with Michael, because uh, I know Cornwall has some issues with mining socially. How are we addressing those in the UK? Well, it's interesting to say Cornwall has issues. In the area where, where uh, we operate, the square mile around the old tin mining district used to be the most expensive square mile of real estate in Europe. It's now one of the most deprived communities in Europe as a result of mining having closed in 1998. And it's interesting that, that you know, we, what we're talking about is restarting an, an, an industry that, that has been very active up until the, 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 the mid-1990s. And there is universal or unanimous support from the local community because they've experienced in the short term the socio-economic impact of that industry going away. And the other interesting thing, I guess, is that because we're not dealing with a greenfield site, we're dealing with a brownfield site, um, the, the, the environmental impact is perhaps somewhat reduced. They're very mindful of it, and it's a much more regulated industry now from an environmental perspective, quite rightly, than it, than it used to be. Um, but I think that the, the fact that we are planning to restart from a brownfield site is, is, is probably a, a positive relative to going into virgin territory. So from one end of Europe all the way to the other in Serbia. Marco, uh, how do people react towards mining uh, in Far Eastern Europe, in Serbia and the developing states? Well, Serbia was a social country, as you know. Before 2000, Europe, the only company that uh, provided exploration and exploitation in Serbia was a government company, Geological Survey, exploring and uh, we 
we had a couple of mines, mostly coal mines mm -hmm. and one huge copper mines which was which was sold now from uh, Nelson to uh, Zijin, China. Uh, after 2000, the market is open in Serbia and that had a huge impact to entire economy. The plan of the government is uh, uh, that uh, mining contribute with 5% of the GDP in Serbia in the next couple of years. So it's an optimistic plan, but also I think it's realistic. So the impact is uh, huge, especially because the exploration areas are mostly in the poor regions of Serbia, which is, which is excellent. Yeah. Uh, how aware are the people around these regions of the exploration? Are they involved in the exploration? They understand yes. the process? Yes, because uh, mostly Canadian and Australian companies uh, provide exploration and they are doing their best efforts to explain to the local communities uh, what is their purpose, what is their goal, uh, to explain them the industry. And uh, it is, uh, it is um, important procedure that uh, must be provided from both sides. And uh, they are understanding, they are involved. Most of them are employees, become employees, uh, local employees, and uh, it's a good thing. So uh, moving back across Europe again to Finland. Passi, uh, in Finland you've got a huge amount of natural forestry, mm -hmm. uh, a huge amount of managed forestry land as well, but it's also probably the most progressive state for mining uh, mm -hmm. in Europe right now. How have you managed to develop having such a beautiful natural landscape and also develop mining positively? Mm. Yeah, there are. I, I will go back also to in the history when we joined to the EU. Like you said, that Marco said that previously we opened Finland in 1995 when we joined in EU. Before that, there was mainly state-owned mining companies. And well, forest industry was already also based more or less in government companies but was getting private more or less much before this 95 already but uh, what comes to the mining after 95 and uh, and exploration it there was quite nice hype for exploration and mining activities before this 2008 uh, eight and uh, then we got one accident in mine site dam accident and uh, it was getting quite negative influence for the mining in Finland. Yeah, 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 it was it was crushing uh, this uh, social acceptance for mining. Now when we are again having this uh, batterization hype, everyone are saying that we need to have uh, batteries, battery cars, airplanes, everything, <laughs> bicycles. Uh, so. We are now getting back on that, that we are building new social acceptance for mining because now it is so much discussion about, uh, about the raw material needs in Europe and self-efficiency. So that at least partially people have started to understand what it means if we need, need these new techniques and uh, having more like batteries and etc. So we need raw materials and what is the best, we mine them from Europe, not, yeah. not from elsewhere. I think both of your points have kind of raised um, kind of an, an interesting perspective on this because where do you guys feel that legislative pressure comes from when you deal with stuff like industrial accidents or when you're generating uh, new jobs in growing economic sectors? Where do you feel like the majority of the pressure comes from? Because from you guys, I imagine it would have been local press and a backlash against what your industry is committing. but. Would you say that through joining the EU, you've had more pressure from the EU itself than already existed? Uh, or would you say that your local government implemented the most pressure on you as a growing sector 
within Serbia. Serbia is not a part of EU. Yeah. And but that fact also. I mean, but do you export the majority of your materials to the EU, or would you say more over to China? Let's say that it's a majority to EU. Yes. And the pressure comes from EU, especially in the in the field of implement rules, rule books. Laws, for example, mining law uh, in Serbia is from 2015. Yeah, it's a modern law uh, allowing the exploration companies very easily to to get the exploration licenses. Uh, the procedure takes a couple of days. Uh, the fees, almost 50 euro. Uh, the surface is 100 uh, square kilometers, and it's very easy to operate. Uh, then uh, there are uh, rules, uh, environmental rules that. Uh, are controlled by the government, especially by the two institutes, Institute for Protecting the Nature and Institute for Protecting the Cultural Heritage. And once they prescribe the conditions for every exploration company, they must include these conditions into the project. After that, they must follow the project during the exploration or exploitation. And ministry has a department of inspection who is controlling. Nothing will happen without the pressure of EU and without chasing that goals that Serbia wants to achieve. So I suppose a similar question to Daniel. I've worked in Portugal, so I know the area quite well. Portugal has quite a positive outlook on mining exploration, maybe not so much production. How are you finding new companies to work with? How are you sourcing investment in Portugal? Well, that's perfectly true. But you know, we're fortunate enough to have. They've had a long and rich mining history. That's that's you know that comes from the Roman times still, and yet uh, so we're fortunate in one way that we have a, a sort of a traditional mining background, and yet we are unfortunate because we have a reverse side of the coin where uh, modern technologies are in fact going against mining, and I'll explain exactly what I mean. I've seen areas that have had uh, operating mines, and those mines. Borderline mines have closed, and we see a decline in the economic capabilities of the local people. And yet, when the mines reopened, they were very glad to have the mine back. In other in other places where no mines existed, and there is the potential for new mines, then there are environmental problems, there are social problems, etc., etc., etc. And so we are faced really with a sort of heads and tails. A situation where, in places, it's easy to get a mine going, and the people are very happy for it. And in other places, they do not want any mining. And even though people themselves recognise that they are both ignorant and illiterate in mining issues, and even with that recognition of the local populations realising that, they still do not want mining, because we have lobby lobbies. You know, influential groups, groups that say that they all going to die of something from the mining-related activities. So I suppose from countries that have a history of mining and then recent production to Germany, where I live and Anna's is based as well. As far as I know, there's one exploration project in most of Germany that's active right now. What do you think is the difference between Germany and other states in Europe? Yeah, you know, there's not much going on in exploration, as you said, and. I think there are a few companies. One is looking for potash, and another one is looking for tin or whatever. Yeah, but you know, it's tough to do a tough place to do business. You know, we close all the mines, we close our coal mines. You know, there's not much going on, and 
You know, the Green Party is getting stronger and stronger in Germany, as you maybe know. And uh, yeah, we want to save the world with our <laughs> green energy thing and everything. So it's a tough place to be. So I would never do exploration in Germany because it's uh, way too difficult. It's way too difficult. So that's a very interesting point you've raised there is that we need green energy, but obviously for that we need materials. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. You yeah. know, I mean, look at the EU. They put uh, every two or three years, they put out a list with uh, important commodities for the EU, yeah. but they are not supporting any, any, any deals here. Mm. I mean, I have invested in a few uh, mining or companies that want to bring a project into production for one, for example, one is in Spain, you know, and they have big problems there. You know, they were able to get 100, 150 uh, uh, permits already, you know, and then they are waiting for two uh, permits that uh, to, to bring it on, you know, they raise the money and everything. But, you know, you have the protesters coming from Madrid to this area, you know, protest for three hours, then go back, you know, and the people there, they have no jobs, they have nothing, you know, young people are all leaving. So even the, co the community is behind them, but they have big problems. So. From an investor point of view, it, it's very difficult. You know, it was better, but it's, I think it's getting worse and worse. Uh, so I suppose my next question is, how do we change that sentiment towards mining? What does the mining industry need to do to change uh, public opinion in Europe? Well, I'd say remind the general public that they need raw materials. If they want a new iPhone every two years, then you need cobalt, you need lithium, you need gold, you need all these earth minerals however they're referred to, whatever the technical term is. Or we're uh, at least the different minerals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you need to get them out of the ground somehow. Mm. Now, um, whether you do that through a slightly less stable emerging marketplace, somewhere like, I don't know if the, the Congo is still kind of a classic example DLC, of, yeah. of, of, of where you mine cobalt, or whether you uh, you try and do it in more brownfield sites. I don't know if these sites exist, but there's mm -hmm. uh, old lithium mining to, to the north of Toronto, isn't there? Um, what the best objective for, for your industry is moving forward and how that uh, tallies with public opinion and then going up the food chain political opinion. Yeah, so the UK is a bit of a battleground for this at the moment with Wolf Minerals closing down. Uh, which was a big hit to the UK uh, mine. It was the only, was. you know, the only advancing advancing mining project in the UK at the time. Yeah, uh, that's hit our market impressions. So people are less interested in the UK. They saw it as an unreliable project. How are we going to change that? Well, I think it's, it, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because if you look at all the metals that we said are going to be required, you know, tin, cobalt, lithium, and I'll just talk about tin for a minute. When South Crofty, which is the mine that's currently in the process of being dewatered, interestingly, very heavily regulated dewatering by the Environment Agency, the biggest issue for Strongbow, the Canadian company doing that, was obtaining a permit to be able to discharge that water. And actually, the water they're discharging now is so much cleaner than everything that was coming out of the mine anyway. But the price, the price when it was abandoned was a fifth of what it is today. And all the commercial analysis looks looks pretty good, even at the current day prices and the forward strips are, are looking looking healthy. So from a from a commercial perspective, and they're going on to on to AIM and listing on AIM, and I think they've had some success with that. I think it's starting to attract investment. Uh, and, and it's driven by a, a, the fact that a huge amount of capital that would be required to create a mine has already been undertaken. It's just full of water, and it's got to be dewatered and then brought back into brought back into operation. So, if Cornwall was a complete greenfield site today, we'd be faced with some of the issues that are faced around the globe. But you know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of mines and shafts um, across Cornwall, and therefore 
the sentiment is all about the advantages of bringing that back online rather than the threats associated with bringing it back online. And it does tie into the fact that people are recognising that, you know, the future demand for, for lithium particularly, and, and which was first identified in Cornwall in the 1700s or 1800s, um, you know, is going to, be, going to be very strong. So all those commercial dynamics are there. But I think one of the things is that doesn't come across sometimes is the extent to which mining operations in Europe as a whole are regulated. And that's, that's something which is a positive thing. It's, a, it's, you know, it's sometimes seen as a negative from the perspective of commercial development. But from in terms of public protection and public perception, it being regulated is a good thing. Serbia is a little bit different situation because um, uh, there is no Green Party in Serbia. There is no resistance in uh, such scope. And there is a reason for that. Uh, average uh, salary in Serbia is uh, 450 euros per month. And uh, especially local community are desperate to have a new investors for new working place positions. Uh, we mentioned lithium a couple of times. Uh, the, one of the biggest deposits of lithium in Europe is in uh, West Serbia, mm -hmm. um, exploring by Rio Tinto. They are preparing now for opening the mine. And uh, I didn't hear that uh, Rio and other companies has a bigger issues regarding the resistance of the people. There's only one case with the uh, Nickel project where uh, approach of the investors were wrong from the early beginning, but uh, my clients and also uh, other companies didn't have uh, big issues with resistance. So it seems to be more of a problem in, in the western end of Europe, western northern yes. Europe. Yes, it's completely Yeah, and there are... It's not developed uh, market. We started with exploration with private companies for, from 2000. Mm. In, in Finland we are having this Green Party and also some some people are discussing the same than, than the party that uh, we should save our natural resources for future generations and not touch them at all now. That is something, how, that is a um, point where it's quite hard to say other words, so that, uh, what then? Yeah. If we are, where we would get those raw materials then? Then we need to go Congo, mm -hmm. China, and elsewhere, where, are, where they are not saving their natural resources in the future generations. It's a long-term goal, and this it's is where this is where your department, Mining Finland and GTK, come into advertising that to the people in Finland. Yeah. And there, there is now the situation where in Finland we are now opening one mine. We'll open silver mine. We'll open this month, which is all, always great news when when you can say that we are opening a new mine. And very positive results from a lithium mine project just came last week. They are now finalized the definitive feasibility study they, they plan is to uh, produce lithium hydroxide mm -hmm. for battery industry and that project has been has went very well there hasn't been such a resistance from locals or environmental activists or nothing it, it has went very well what's the difference between their let's say marketing strategy or approach to the public that, that's yeah, there that are there are some differences in in a how they approached an early phase already project. They have been very open all the time. And also at the authority side, they have been very open. They have took all authorities together and they have shortened the permitting times a lot in many other cases. They have done it somehow other way. Yeah. It's probably a good example to follow. Yeah, something yeah, we should exactly. learn from as yeah. an industry. Yeah, yeah.
I think, I think one of the other things is people are starting to tie some of these threads together. You know, if you want to decarbonize transportation, you want to electrify it, then you've got to have the base resources. There's, there's no way of avoiding it. If you want to move from centralized generation and distribution to distributed generation of electricity, you've got to have battery storage in the mix and you've got to have the raw materials. So it, it's, there's a little bit of give and take, but, but, the, but the public perception of decarbonizing the economy is so strong that it's a price worth paying to, to look at what you have to do to achieve that. Do, do you think the um, inherent trust that the public has, say in Scandinavian countries, uh, where I think general uh, general public perception of environmental policy is is pretty high, and that we we trust that the government will apply these rules, and you trust that um, investment will uh, or companies that are investing in the area will follow this legislation, as opposed to somewhere like the UK, where I mean, God forbid we we say the F word, uh, where public perception was very much damaged by the deployment of fracking mm. insights and potential um, I think if the result of that was not particularly positive yeah. financially or environmentally but my, my background is in oil and gas yes offshore oil and gas we've been fracking since God was a boy yes but it's you not know, in people's backyards but it's not in people's backyards <laughs> no but it, but as a technology you know it's not something which is an unproven experimental mm. technology it's just the public perception of it, as you say. Yeah, yes, I think absolutely. This, this goes back to what Passy was saying in Finland, where the, when the company began, they were open and they were honest and they explained the process. Mm -hmm. So there was less resistance, yeah. whereas in the UK, fences were put up, lines were drawn, and nobody was told. Yeah. Uh, and by the time anyone was told, there were protests, there were people being arrested, and that, that was that. That was the mm -hmm. end of the fracking experience. Yeah, the, the, this openness that you, that you referred to, and Passy also referred to, uh, is all very well, but for example, I know that back home we have a problem with we have companies that are responsible players in, in the mining business. They come in, they, they do things all by the book, and they inform the local communities of what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, what are the benefits, and so on. Yet we have the resistance from the local governments because any royalty that is paid or any monies that are paid to get paid to the central government. Mm -hmm. And the central government never pays anything back. Mm. Well, in very few instances does it pay anything back. So the locals do not see any benefit from the mining itself mm. unless the mine itself says, like, it's okay, look, you guys have got a, bad, a very bad road here. It's full of holes. We're going to tar this road for you. Okay, and that is something that happens. But otherwise, everything starts off well, and then in, in the end, everything is sour because the guys do not see anything. So you get the guys, you know, saying that, yeah, you know, we get the, 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 the mine dumps blowing all this uh, dust that is highly poisonous, you know, as, as you know, we have lots of uranium, old uranium mines, so it's blowing all this powdered uranium all over the place and so on and so on. And, uh, and you know, we, we're basically dying and w what are you doing about it, you know? Can we have a, a new uh, hospital? Can we have uh, some new doctors? Can we have nurses? Can we have, you know, things like that? And that is, and that is a, a particular concern. And my other concern, just to address Michael uh, yeah, on, on this decarbonizing of economies now, is that uh, I, I, I've been around for a while, even though uh, you know, it doesn't look like it, but I have been around for a while. And, um, and I, 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 there's basically a thing that I like to call the fashionable minerals. So a couple of years ago, was all rare earths. Yeah, you know, it's yes. bionorble and everything is rare earths That's and where do we get the next stuff. ones? And now all of a sudden it's lithium. And I have no problems with lithium. It's a very good way of keeping things on the political agenda. And now people, you know, mining companies can then 
you know, search for their targets and do their, the, basically do their thing and, and uh, help out. But uh, I think there should be a stronger control by the, uh, or legislative control. I'll give you a very good example that I was discussing yesterday. Norashar in Sweden, who's, uh, who's, who's got all the nice heavy ray earths, it's, got, it's actually got a nice balance between heavy, heavies and, and, the, and, the, and the light ray earths, has been, has been trying to open the mind for the last decade. And it's really just pending on one small environmental problem now that came up well after things had, had started. So the, the decision has, has now been left by the government. So the government is either going to say, yes, you can open, no, you can't open. And that is going to be a life-threatening decision for some people or life-saving decision for others. So it's really a catch-22 situation. The permitting issue for that one is the disposal of, disposal of thorium. So yeah. I mean, the public are, are rightly so worried about it. And yeah. uh, it's potentially dangerous if it's not done right. So yeah. uh, I, th I think you know, Novachar has a potential to come online in future. Uh, I hope so. When the prices go up for neodymium and <laughs> dysprosium. Yeah. So moving to maybe market sentiment, Hannes, uh, you cover the markets uh, worldwide and then mostly in Germany. What do you think global sentiment is towards European investment? So for especially mining in Europe? Or? Yeah, mining in Europe. What's global sentiment towards investing in European projects? Yeah, as I said before, you know, I had uh, a few investments uh, where the companies uh, tried to develop something in Europe and they, it didn't went well, you know. I mean, it's some serious problems, you, you know, you have the environmental things on the one side and then in other countries, for example, in Poland, you know, the government is trying to, I would say, steal the projects from the companies and, and, and that's not uh, not funny for the, for the guys, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's difficult, you know, and I see it from from my investors, you know, they are more and more careful about Europe because of this bad experience in the last, let's say, five years or whatever, you know, because first it, it went fine and everything, but so I had to, I have the feeling that in the last three four years it's going worse for the sentiment. And the investors more stay away, you know, they prefer then, okay, let's uh, look for a company in Australia or Canada or even Africa, you know. Some guys feel better in Africa than in uh, Europe because of all the things that's going on. Yeah. Can, can I ask uh, Anas a question? Yeah, I was about to open the floor and say, <laughs> would you like to ask each other anything? Yeah. Do you, as a person who writes on the mining industry, do you believe that in the next 20 years, there will be a new European, and I mean Central European mine open. I'm not talking about Finland or Sweden up in the Fennoscandian belts. I would love to see one, to be honest. Yeah, I would love to see one as well, yeah. but I'd like to know what <laughs> you think if there's going to be one. Yeah, I mean... I mean, uh, Cornwall will... Crofty will open it's restarting it. Yeah, yeah, but to be honest, I, I'm afraid, you know, I think there will not be uh, a major new mine coming on. I think there are too many problems. From my point of view, maybe 20 years is, that is a long time frame, but I can't see a lot of in the next uh, five well, years. I'll tell you the reason I use 20 years is because uh, some studies have been done on, on opening of new gold mines, and they said it will take on average 19 years to open a new gold mine. That is from brownfields exploration to producing the first bar of gold. Yeah. So I use 20 years as a, as a yeah. sort of bracket. Yeah. And you know, in 20 years, a lot of things can change. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I mean. But as I said, it's tough, you know, and, and I, yeah. I don't see too many light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> mm. But, but you know, 20 years from today, in the UK, you won't be able to buy or sell an internal combustion engine car. Mm. Volvo will stop making. The, the, the whole, yeah. the whole lot's going to change on the demand side. 
and there's going to have to be a supply side response to that, which is probably uh, pretty difficult to predict. Yeah, yeah, and we need to remember. Be positive, yeah, sure. and we need to remember that if there's some political changes happen, say twenty years is a long time span, so everything can happen. And if you really need something from here in Europe, not in here, Canada, but from Europe. Uh, and you cannot get it from China or for some reason from Africa or somewhere else. You need it from Europe. We'll take it from Europe. Even if we, we need to change some permitting or what it needs. If we really need them, we will take them. That, that's just, uh, at least my opinion. Yeah, but uh, but as you said, you know, you you cannot then find out in, in five years or ten years. Oh, we need uh, that in that product. You're yeah, not just talking about yeah, lithium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's talk about copper. Let's talk about all. Let's talk about iron or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. and then you kind of say, okay, we turn the mine on. It, mm -hmm. it takes ten years to build this mine. Hmm. Does or, po does political stability not have any impact on investment decisions? Because if you look at you know if you look at Africa, yeah. you'd have to say there's a there's a lower level of political stability than there is across yeah, for Europe, sure. Central Europe. For sure, but you know um, what I have seen in Europe, you know the governments are changing as well. I mean, look at Spain. You know, new election is coming again now in in April. You know, in in Poland, you have now the yeah, let's say right wing party in place, and you know it, everything is changing. You know, and and you see Europe is splitting up from my point of view, and and yeah. You see the extremes, you know, some go to the left, some, some go to the right. And, um, you know, as a mining company, you have to plan for, not for five years, you have to plan for 20, 30 years if you make an investment decision of $500 million or a billion dollars. You know, and, and you, you can't just hope, yeah, the guy will be fine or the government will be fine in the next five or ten years. So that's a problem. That's really a problem. But there are changes in, in mining business that listen, I can say an exa example from Finland, so that, uh, like I said earlier, decades back and early 19th century, there was only state-owned mining companies in Finland. But now we are already again having state-owned mining company, which has a big nickel uh, mine, which is now starting to produce nickel and uh, cobalt sulfide also for battery industry. But they are having a shares also from the silver mine, which will be open this, this month. They are having a shares from this lithium project. So government has taken now one share from the mining industry in Finland again, so there, there can be these kind of chances. What, yeah. it, what it means in the political uh, and permitting issues in the future, that, that cannot be said. But yeah, I, I was going to say that no, there's no doubt that political stability is important, and uh, uh, coupled with this political stability is somebody in government who is at least half pro-mining. Mm. Because the, the lithium problem that we are all now worried about and the cobalt and all the batteries and things, uh, I remember very well, you know, uh, uh, just to set the record straight, Portugal is the seventh largest world producer of lithium. Yet it produces lithium, not to produce lithium metal, but uses it in the ceramic industry as a flux to lower the fusing point of the uh, feldspar and quartz pastes, okay? So it's never, we've never had a noble use of lithium in Portugal, yet we produce lithium from pegmatites and we're producing it for the last you know, decades and decades and so on. Mm. 
Yet, when uh, in 2011 the geological survey started looking at lithium a little bit more closely, the governments did not ever think of lithium because of the yeah. e- e-mobility in and strategic all sense. Yeah. Exactly. So in 2011 we had a very big uh, seminar, uh, workshop, call it what you like, that involved South American countries, the Iberian Peninsula, where we alerted to the to the problems associated with the lithium, what it's used for, etc., etc., etc. Nobody paid any attention. I can tell you now. Now. Uh, exactly. Now, uh, the, with the last critical raw materials list that came out in, in 2017, and with this e-mobility and decarbonizing of the, of the economy, the government suddenly wakes up. We want to know if we have lithium, <laughs> you know, which is, which is 10 years too late, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that, that is a problem as well. We need somebody, we need people in government that will worry and say that the next big, call it fashionable mineral, is going to be copper. Please find out where it is, how much we have of it, where we can get more, how long it takes to get it out. Exactly. And we, we need long-term exploration, yeah. European-wide. Yeah. When there comes to situation that now we need this, now we need this, we at least know where, where that is. <laughs> that, that's, that's important. I mean, yeah, the British Geological Survey have a critical metals department uh, that focus on building these lists, yes, building global yeah. resources putting them together. Um, is that something we should be coming together to do, really? I mean, as, as Europe, should we be putting that list together? Well, I think the list is already compiled uh, using a group of experts from several different institutes, geological surveys, uh, investment uh, firms, uh, you know, call it what you like. So I think that in that aspect that you know, people are coming together to do that. The problem being that it's heavily guided or steered by European institutes or commissioned institutes, let's call it that. So if they say that, you know, you know, don't worry so much about Indium, you know, and people don't look so much at Indium or, you know, whatever it is. But it you know, that's that's not the right way to do it. Well, is it is it in the industry's wider interest to share this information when you give examples where governments have come in and interjected where a, a private company has tried to explore an area for a mineral and then the state has come in and taken over that project as you gave an example of earlier uh, where the Polish government had interjected in a potential project is it actually in the greater industry interest? Personally I don't think so my personal opinion well <laughs> I mean that's, it seems quite backward but also quite Needs, it seems like this needs to be greater legislation in when when it comes to the process from exploration and potential kind of legal water tightness. I suppose yeah. would be the. I, I have an example back home where the government actually owned a significant share of a very prominent mine, and uh, the mine kept losing money, uh, and so the government decided to sell its share to a private company and they sold it for a pittance really and the year after that the mine uh, had 280 million euros of profit so <laughs> you know, how does it work so i'd say if we do maybe a closing statement each uh, answering questions firstly how do we bring more investment into european projects secondly how do we change public perception uh, europe-wide of mining we start with marco Take a breath if you like. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Again, it's uh, I'm in a difficult position because uh, Serbia, uh, now I'm representing and working, uh, is uh, quite different mm. from all of the countries that I heard. And, uh, 
these differences uh, Serbia see as their chance, chance to develop, to increase the GDP, uh, to create uh, new working positions. And uh, because of that, uh, as we discussed, the resistance is smaller, the government uh, is uh, making uh, bigger efforts, new investments. For example, uh, Serbian minister, uh, minister was present here in PDAC and it was a Tetian session organized the first day of PDAC and he was trying to explain to the potential investor that Serbia has a good climate, that it's a safe country, follows the European rules and their own laws. So it's a little bit different situation. As I said also, there is no main part in Serbia. Um, also, we discussed about possibility of opening a new mine in Central Europe. I predict that in Serbia we will have two new mines in the uh, next 10 years, big one and a couple of small-scale mines also. So my position is a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> and Hannes, what's your, from an investment perspective, what do you think we need to do? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a simple point. I think you mentioned it before. Um, I would say uh, a good, highly regulated mine in Europe, you know, with the best safety standards you can have is, is much better than have uh, little kids digging out cobalt in the Congo. I mean, and that's uh, what the guys need to know. And then the governments and so on, they should uh, think about this point. So that's as simple as it is, you know, and you need, you have the rules, you know, and if the companies follow the rules, they should get the permit. That's as simple as it is, right? So that's my statement for that. <laughs> and Daniel yourself? Yeah, I have a very short statement regarding all this. Yeah. And it boils down to this. More geology, less bureaucracy. And that's fine. Short yeah. and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Passi from Finland, yeah. what's your? We need stable legislation, clear permitting process. Those are what we need from governmental guidance side and uh, what comes to the social acceptance uh, it's clear that uh, we need to remember to create public that uh, we can run very sustainable mining in Europe that is the message which we need to share widely. I think I've just got an alternative to Daniel's and that's less bureaucracy but more advocacy <laughs> from, from, from national government and from local government as well. I think that's critically important because local government is closer to the community than national government. In fact, there's a suspicion between communities and national government that perhaps local government. But advocacy for mining comes back to your point. Who's going to promote mining from within as an economic enabler? And finally, John. Well, I, th I think it's really interesting just coming in as a complete outsider and seeing we've got we've got two examples of, of areas where there's growth within the sector. Yeah, you've got a, a, not an emerging market, but certainly a, a younger marketplace than than in Central Europe. You've got another example in Finland where there's growth and general public trust. So the public in Serbia, I think, uh, have trust because of, of an ec economic factor over an environmental factor, which I think is more true in Finland. Um, whereas it feels sad that projects within Central Europe will be held up, from my opinion, from what I've heard today, purely by ignorance on a level of central government, which it seems very backwards and it seems a shame, you know, you've got these areas that have a rich heritage of mining, certainly in, in northwestern Germany. and 
I, I, th I think it's interesting that the UK we're starting to, to reopen these sites. I think more case studies like this will, will provide more trust, which will then sway government opinion, public opinion. I think it's great news for the sector, and especially, as Hannah's mentioned, operating in an area where you have tight regulation. It should provide a lot of hope for people, but I hope that it's not 20, 30 years down the line, because that's another generation that will be skipped with limited scope for job growth uh, in the areas where it affects the most. And I think from, from what you've told me today, I think it is a very key part to bring when money is going directly to central government, whereas to local government. I, th I, th I think that is an issue that has to be addressed, surely. With the private sector investing in a local area, the local area should see the return for that. Um, so I think it's been fascinating, and thank you guys for putting up with my mild ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you very much for joining the Spotlight Mining podcast live from PDAC. Thank you very much everybody uh, here at the table. Uh, you can follow us on Spotify, uh, follow Spotlight Mining, also on Instagram, Twitter and SoundCloud. I've been Liam Hardy. Cheers. We'll speak again.